Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm gonna be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate all right so you're listening to this podcast right now london is blue and guess what we host our podcast on anchor.fm that's right if you're looking to host your own podcast this is the easiest free way to get started. This has got a content creation tool allows you to record and the podcast right from a phone. That's right, don't even need a computer, but you can do it there too. They'll also help you distribute it, which is probably the most challenging part. You don't want to have to mess with that. They got you covered. You can get it right on a Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well as any other place podcasts are found. And you know what? You can monetize it too. Make a little cash for sharing your great content with the world. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one individual place. So you know what? Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen. Hi, this is Ruben Loftus-Cheek. This is William. I'm Mason Mount. You're listening to the London is Blue podcast. All right, welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. Dan here, no Brandon today, Nick. He is is celebrating a Chelsea-sponsored a cellular partner sponsored 33rd <laughs> birthday. That is right. Maybe he's the reason for three. I don't know. 33 sponsored by three. Sounds good. Everyone go wish him a happy birthday on the socials. Uh, he's at BB Busby everywhere. Uh, lots of bees. Three bees. 33 sponsored by three. Come on, guys. It's perfect. Well, we always need a third person. Because uh, we always like to have three people on the show. So we brought in the wonderful Nizar Kinsella. Naz, welcome back. It has been a long season, and it is one match away. One more match away from being over. Yeah, I think I feel like I'm counting down the games now a little bit because uh, they've been great, and I've been really fortunate to be one of the few who can go in the stadium. Uh, but, you know, when you're working and, and, and you get to this sort of stage, sometimes you get a bit jaded, and, and the sort of sheer veracity of, like, the amount of matches, the importance of them, uh, it's been it's been a bit of a slog towards the end. So, yeah, and it kind of feels like, the tra- well, it is open, the transfer window, so you've got that double whammy. Uh, yeah, I need to say happy birthday to Brandon as well. Shame you're not here, but wishing you all the best today. So just to, maybe as for someone who's actually been able to go to the games, because a lot of people have not, uh, basically everybody else who's not a journalist or affiliated with the club in some capacity. What's that experience been like since the, the restart? I think we have, haven't really had a chance to kind of ask anyone that. Yeah, I think my, my, I went to the second game. First of all, it was the Man City game, Chelsea kind of delivering Liverpool a title 2-1 win. Uh, Stamford Bridge. It's really strange to sort of just be in a stadium with world-class players and, and not really have an atmosphere. Just sort of hear what the players are saying, uh, hear what the benches are saying. I remember Ross Barker was going crazy over the penalty appeal that, that went to two-one uh, when the Tammy Abraham shot was handballed off the line. So uh, yeah, it was it was a, a weird experience. I remember just not being able to concentrate in the first few minutes. I was like, is this is this is this a really important match? Is it? Uh, is that kind of vibe? And then, uh, yeah, you, you kind of get into it and it becomes normal. And, and you know, I think generally it's it's bad, but, you know, lots of aspects of the game have changed, haven't they? Like the tempo and, and you know, the players having to motivate themselves and then the water break and going again. Uh, so, yeah, it's been quite fascinating uh, from those aspects. I think one of the last times we talked to you, actually, you know, we were talking about Project Restart, right? And figuring out kind of how how this would all work. And, I mean, 
I, we all had doubts, to be fair, but I think they ended up pulling it off uh, in in relatively easy fashion, given the you know very very low amount of positive tests and the way that the stadiums were kind of respected, except if you were around Liverpool after they won the the title. Um, it, so, I what's your kind of grade on how everything worked, especially as we kind of hedge towards the Champions League? There's no more domestic football. Yeah, it worked well. The only negative for me was when I was at Crystal Palace and Sheffield United and I was sat in the stands and, uh, yeah, my back was really hurting from the, the seats they put us in. The Wi-Fi wasn't working at Crystal Palace either, so that was pretty bad. But, uh, yeah, you find a way around these problems when you're uh, used to these experiences. So, yeah, other than that, it's been um, it's been really well uh, done and, and the Premier League themselves, the central body of just, you know, like you said, the no no positive tests. A lot of the criticism before it was like, how can we go on and play football and maybe increase the risk of transmission during the games and all this kind of stuff. And, and none of it's come to bear and it's been totally right. You know, we saw Kante ducked out over concerns and and rightly, we you know, we, we all have our own personal concerns and, and risk uh, being, you know, assessed during these things. And it's all turned out to be the right decision. And, and you know, the game's going to have a lot of difficult times in the future. The transfer market's being hit, really. We're going to talk about that a bit later. But, um, yeah, it's um, it's all going to be hit. But the fact we're going is making things a little bit easier. Anything that can go go on, it, you know, it, it makes sense to carry on because, you know, um, the economic effects could be brutal. Well, we will go into this match review and get started. So, Naz, we've been doing something a little different as we start these match reviews now. We're not going to make you go first, but we're going to start with a three-word match review. Nick already has one loaded in the script. Nick, why don't you go drop your three-word match review for this one? Yeah, after yesterday, it's Injury Rehab FC. I mean, we are... We're a, we're a hurting unit right now, and uh, my hope is that you know we start to we're, we're able to kind of provide the appropriate amount of time off to these guys who are going to have a really quick turnaround in it next year. You know, not to overlook the Bayern match, which is kind of seems like a formality at this point. Um, I, yeah, I think the injury is tough. I went with the three word "not our day," which I think builds upon your idea. Because it wasn't just injuries; it was a lot of dominoes falling. It all just seemed to go in the opposite direction of Chelsea. Naz, you got three words you could use to sum up this match. Uh, probably unlucky, painful lessons. Mm. I like that. Naz with Naz just nails it. I mean, you can tell <laughs> that he does this for a living every day. Yeah. Yeah, I just think I just think that um, it's a case of lessons learned, really, rather than uh, a bleak. I don't think it should be seen as a bleak or a failure uh, sort of outcome. Um, you know, we, nobody wanted that outcome from Chelsea, but uh, it's not the end of the world. And and you know, Chelsea are in a better position than Arsenal going forward. I would agree with that. So we'll get through a couple of our quick action items here. Some of our hit lists or house cleaning items before we get into the match review. Nick, want to thank a couple of people, of course, for joining us on Patreon. I do. This is a, a segment that I typically don't do, so I'm going to read these out with pride. Uh, Gregory, Ricky, Jacob, Espen, Logan, Robert, you guys are all legends. Thank you for joining over the last month. We are super excited about the growth of this, of this little community uh, over the last couple of years. The Discord server that that is a part of your Patreon subscription was hopping yesterday. So get in there if you're really interested in in kind of a, a really uh, class group of Chelsea fans. It was hopping this morning too. A lot of a lot of British Grand Prix conversation. So that was fun. We uh, we, we we took that in together. Yes. There, so it is interesting because we we do have different topics within our Discord, and people are relatively respectful of of minding the topics and you just pop in occasionally and it's like there's one thread with 500 things going on and it was like the grand pr- i was like okay all right well that's what people are interested in now that's great all right well you can find out more about that patreon.com slash london blue pod anyway apple podcast reviews some wonderful people giving five stars of love peter blues eight connor till nate the average who's not average left an amazing review and actually complimented nick which doesn't usually happen to those things. First time, so first time there. for everything. <laughs> Peregridian and Leviathan, all with five-star reviews. That's uh, amazing. Please go to Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star review. Helps people find the show and get introduced to the London is Blue Chelsea community. Uh, last couple call to actions. Uh, huge growth on YouTube this month, so really appreciate everybody following on YouTube. You can watch the pod not just listen to it now so you can see all of our smiling faces and you get to see nick grimace when we lose so 
win-win there. And then uh, you can also follow the podcast, Twitter and Instagram at London Blue Pod. But we have a match review, everyone. It was the FA Cup final. It was against Arsenal. And it was at Wembley, where the only people who were there were, I don't know, people who were affiliated with the clubs, a choir, making sure to sing the anthem in the beginning that were socially distanced. That was a little awkward. And yes, the final score was Arsenal 2, Chelsea 1. We will play back the goals with the help and support of the Fist Stand app, the official Chelsea app. So we'll listen to those now and then we'll jump in. It is the 2020 FA Cup final, a match that might easily not have happened at all. But here we are. It really did so well, as Mason Mount has there to Rob Shaka. Mason Mount! And the first save of the game for Emi Martinez was a smart one. And Pulisic has found him here. Tight angle. He was looking for Giroud. Pulisic! Yeah! 1-0 Chelsea! Brilliant goal! Wonderfully made! All of that front three who've been so good this season. Jorginho score a home and away against Arsenal, Odden, this season. Here goes Pulisic again. And still beaten out by Amy Martinez. Could have gone anywhere. A frightened to make a challenge, Ben, to be honest. He's getting himself in really tight situations, but working his way through. Tierney forcing them to do that. But Bamiang's got goal side here of Aspilicueta. He's got to be very, very careful. Penalty. Oh, it's so close. It's a penalty. And he scores. It's all levelled up. Arsenal won. Chelsea won. Bellerin on the charge. And, uh, Christensen in with a good tackle, but Pepe has found a Bamiyang here. And still a Bamiyang. Ah! It's 2 1 Arsenal. He's done it again. And having trailed early on, Arsenal lead Chelsea by two goals to one with a quarter of the 2020 Cup final to go. Kovacic has been booked. Oh, Anthony Taylor has the card out. It is a red. It is Kovacic. There's nothing wrong with his leg. I'm sorry, that There's is no not contact. a yellow card in a million There's years. There's no contact on his leg. Look at him. There's no contact. Arsenal win the 2020 FA Cup. It's a hugely frustrating end to what has been a largely successful domestic season. Let's not forget that. But for now, Wembley belongs to Arsenal. All right, well, hearing them back... Nick, before we get into the lineups, I think we have to call out this really, you know, again, we are the America Chelsea podcast. We own it. We adopt it. We embrace our mantle. And Opta Joe had a really nice stat here about uh, one Christian Pulisic. That is right. Uh, one, C Pulisic 10 on, this is Twitter, obviously, is the first American player to score in an FA Cup final, while it was Chelsea's quickest goal in the final of the competition since Roberto Di Matteo in 1997, his famous Goal straight out of the blocks. Um, it was uh, it was really cool uh, to see how quickly we started. Uh, and I believe Mike Ryan of the Chelsea Mike Up podcast tweeted something to this effect. So I'll give him credit for this. He, you know, I think he said something to the fact of the narrative or the you know kind of effect of this might wear off, but for a, for an American to see an American score in an FA Cup final Naz is not something I really ever thought I would see. Um, and for it to be so quick out of the blocks and, and to give Chelsea a really good start was incredibly cool for us. I'm, I'm sure, you know, by Frank's reaction, it was cool for him too. But what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I thought it was a really bright start. Um, Chelsea's front three, whether it's been Willian, Mount or or whoever, and then, you know, you've had Pulisic and Giroud in there, just been electric this season. And it started out like these three guys, they couldn't be dealt with uh, by Arsenal's back line and their pressing was so good and the, the interplay. And I just thought the goal was brilliant as well, like uh, Pulisic driving um, through the middle um, he often picks up the ball and just runs through the middle he's too quick you can't stop him um, but you know un- unlike a lot of players with those kind of attributes he gives it uh, away quite easily he doesn't always look for the most complicated pass he doesn't look for a long range shot it's just a simple pass to Mount Mount crosses it in along the ground nothing special Giroud just that great awareness to sort of find Pulisic who's, who's 
you know, this is what's so intelligent about this guy. He made that run um, into a space that, you know, Arsenal weren't able to deal with, um, you know, and he does it at speed as well. So, he, you know, he starts the move, then he finishes it and scores a beautiful goal. And I thought, actually, it was a it was a phenomenal goal, fitting of a cup final. And um, I think the first half was a, a brilliant half as well. And I think Chelsea, you know, it's down to pressing, Pulisic's the main man. Um, the way he plays, he's kind of put himself on that pedestal. Whatever happens next season with new signings, you know, you feel like Pulisic is going to be right at the centre of uh, a lot of what's positive for Chelsea. And I think, you know, teams, you know, towards the end of this sort of uh, restart break, uh, I mean, this restart, uh, since Project Restart, they've, they've been looking at Pulisic and they've been like, how are we going to stop him? And they've been trying different things. And generally, it's not worked. Maybe once or twice, teams are okay against him, but uh, he's. He's uh, really taken his game to the next level. And to a level, I think, that he's never taken it before himself. Like, nobody nobody expected him to do quite so well, quite so quickly. And, and this is a season where he's had challenges as well. Injuries, the league's harder, it's physical. And mm-hmm. to do all that amid challenges and to go to the next level is, is fantastic for him. Yeah, he definitely grabbed the mic at the end of this closure and uh, reintroduced himself to world football and to Premier League defenders who were having quite the time dealing with him. But we'll go through the lineup real quick. It was Willie Caballero between the sticks, Cesar Aspilicueta, Kurt Zuma, and Rudiger in a back three. Marcus Alonso, Reese James on the wings with Kovacic and Jorginho in the midfield two. Pulisic, Giroud, and Mount were the front three. Unused substitutes included Keta Ripawaga, N'Golo Kante, Fakayo Tomori and Emerson Palmieri, Ross Barkley, Andreas Christensen, Tammy Abraham, Pedro, and Callum Hudson-Odoi all had the chance to see minutes in this match. And I think Naz, the one thing that was a bit bit surprising, we obviously saw William didn't make the last match of the Premier League season. We thought maybe he'd be fit for this one. Felt like that was something that was missing out of this match. And then Conte getting Lampard coming out pre-match saying, looks like he's going to be able to be fit for this match and then not actually coming in and not you know resting on the bench was just kind of a two big surprises out of this lineup. Yeah, I think that was probably a boost for Arsenal. Um Willian's been in good form and you know big player experience and all that. Um you know, he's not always most loved by all Chelsea fans, but I think those who watch it and appreciate not just the numbers side of the game, but a lot of other parts of the game, then realise he's a really good player. And, you know, Mount did okay, pretty well. Um, but I think maybe at a point you'd have wanted to bring on Willian, even if he didn't start. So I think that that would have been an option. Pedro probably wouldn't have come on if William was around. Um, you know, the second point, Kante. Um, it's been a tough season, hasn't it, for him? Um, he's missed like half the games for Chelsea. Uh, Lampard referenced 50% of the games and it's sort of, turned out to be true he's played 27 and not played 27 so exactly 50% of games missed and uh, you know to lose a player who really let's be honest if Chelsea have a world-class player we're talking about Pulisic yes maybe he is world-class but he's been world-class for a while but you know to be world-class I think you need to do it over a full season and that's Pulisic's next challenge in the next few years and then we can maybe start debating it um, but Kante's done it he's been there done it he's world-class we know it he's a World Cup winner that's that's pedigree of a, a different you know standard and 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 Chelsea would have loved to have I can say for a cup final and for the rest of the running and part of you know it's quite a down pod because Chelsea lost the cup final but part of you know Chelsea's success this season has been without Kante really and when he has played he hasn't had a run of games so it's not like the real real Kante some great performances yes but we've not seen the real Kante and, and that's been a you know a story of this cup final and a story of the season. Yeah, and he Dan yesterday. If you if you really look at how Arsenal were playing, N'Golo Conte playing that sitting kind of deeper role when Lacazette came to get the ball so that they could distribute out wide, um, like Elliot predicted in the pre-show pod or the the pre-match pod, uh, it would have been a game changer. You know, a full strength N'Golo Conte does not allow him to get into spaces to help create those opportunities. And unfortunately, it just it wasn't meant to be there. You know, my, my hope is for him and for the rest of our injured contingent that they take whatever mini break this is and try and get themselves right. And that our our medical team is looking at holistic injuries, soft, soft tissue injuries across the board and figuring out a way that we can maybe adjust to that because it's been a ton on the board this year. The challenge with the lack of N'Golo Conte, I think, really 
tied Lampard's hands in what he could or couldn't do with the players that were available and were fit. And we will definitely get into the conversation around injuries and what's going on there in this episode. We'll cover a couple of quick top line stats, some of which will not shockingly surprise you, given the officiating, which we will also cover in more detail as well. <laughs> Nine shots from Chelsea to Arsenal's 11, three on target to their three. We had 56% of the possession to their 44 13, that's right, one three fouls to their three, brought to you by three.co.uk. Uh, uh, five yellow cards to their one, one red card to their zero, zero offsides to their three, and four corners to their six. Expected goals, not high at all, 0.9 for both teams. So this was pretty much down to moments of brilliance, kind of just shades of difference between the two but in general there actually wasn't a lot whole lot going for either team in terms of great shots on target in this one Naz. yeah i think you know the one positive about arsenal and you know there's not there's not always loads and loads is that obama yang is uh it's just a sensation it was his cup final he dropped the cup mm. fair play to him it's pretty funny moment <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i mean he he um he he was he's the difference and and it's great to have a great finisher up front and chelsea will have that next season in timo werner and that shows you the kind of difference it can make when the expected goals and the margins are so tight in these big games and they're all, they're always going to be i mean arsenal are not a bad side they've beaten Liverpool and Man City before going into this game they'd learned how to defend for the first time in a decade um, so yeah Arsenal um, Arsenal were a good side and, and I think that you know in this game it was really a case of a lot of little things going against Chelsea maybe a drop in tempo um, after they scored which you know they could have sort of you know manage the game a little bit better in that period um and, and you know those injuries as well they just t- kind of took the stuffing out of them and um you know when when you see a player like Aspie go down your captain and he goes down he's screaming in pain um he was on tears coming off the pitch I mean those hamstring pulls I mean it could be even a tear that we're talking about it could be uh, a decent injury so um you know that can shake you up a little bit and then you know Aspie's so important for the balance of the team as well and, and the leadership and the talking in the back line and um Chelsea looks a bit ragged at times during the game as well um you know I thought Chelsea were really well set up I just thought you know those balls over the top seems to be a bit of a weakness and you know that's where Aubameyang stepped in and, and delivered what he's got he's got his pace he's got his finishing and, and those two things came into play yeah Aubameyang Bit of a handful for defenders. That is uh, no surprise. So let's kind of talk about that first. So the tactics. I think the real question here, Nick, is did Lampard get the tactics for the match right before we get into talking about injuries and officiating and some of those minor moments? But, you know, after the few first few minutes, we felt really good. Poliska scores early. We're moving the ball. We are, you know, slotting it past great ball by Martinez, who has been fantastic uh, as the deputy to Leno. But then the game really shifted. Arteta kind of gave them a little bit of a scent and said, hey, you actually can go out and beat these guys. And everything seemed to change. So what's your thoughts on just did we get the tactics right for this match? Yeah, I mean, it's difficult to look back and, and try and Monday morning quarterback this, right? But, you know, I think just given our the three matches that we played against them this year, and you look back at what was successful and what wasn't successful, Probably not. You know, I, I think obviously, you know, we mentioned at the top the injuries and, you know, previous injuries before this match kind of tied Lampard's hands in terms of what was going to be available to even select as a starting lineup. But I think as you watch the game go on, the a couple of things really stuck out stuck out of me, Naz. Uh, first thing is that it doesn't really matter if you have wing backs if they're playing like they're forwards. Um, so you're leaving a ton of space, just a ton of space down the channels. And you know, I think Arsenal did a really good job of exploiting that space. Um, and the second thing is, for an entire match, you can't just bypass your midfield in hopes of hitting, you know, kind of long balls on the counter. Like both teams tried it all game. It was ridiculous, actually, that the midfields had no say in this cup final. But I think where I was coming in at kind of halftime if I was looking for an adjustment is I think I would have taken Rudiger off or Christensen or one of the center backs. I would have brought on a Barkley or a Callum Hudson-Odoi and moved Mountain to midfield and tried to regain passing angles again because they simply weren't there. I mean, you've seen Chelsea play really good football out of a back three this year. 
really crisp passing angles, a lot of good movement. None of that was there yesterday. And for some reason, to me, as Arsenal were able to press us hard all game, and we were not able to do anything remotely close to them. So a lot of factors. Yeah, Arsenal, Arsenal's pressing was a huge problem for Chelsea. I was looking at the stats and... Uh, you know, all of the centre backs were giving away possession way too too easily. That's Aspliqueta, Rudiger, uh, Zuma. It's not a technical issue, and I think you're right. I think maybe the passing angles weren't there. Maybe the midfielders weren't moving into the spaces right, or the, or the wing backs. But certainly, they would have modelled Chelsea's system and and would have sort of looked. And then I know that before the match that. Um, the defensive shape was everything Arsenal worked on. They barely worked on attack. They just worked on defence, defence, defence. And part of the defence was that front-footed pressing. And, and Chelsea did the same to Arsenal. And both teams hurt each other incredibly with their pressing game. But the thing is, once once um, Chelsea's pressing was bypassed, um, then you know Arsenal could do way more damage because their forwards are quicker. Um, you know, once they do, and they did look to the long balls more than Chelsea did, and maybe you know, that would have been a way out for Chelsea, but they, they just don't really do that. And I think that when Chelsea look for long balls, they look for Giroud and they look for him to hold it up and bring in Mount. And Mount's always buzzing around him and then Pulisic might go long because he's quicker. Um, but they, they rarely look to Pulisic's pace and maybe that was something they could have used a little bit more. You know, the way that yeah. Aubameyang was used is the way that Pulisic could be used. And it was a very similar, you know, sort of cagey sort of match, very interesting tactical out- outcomes in the beginning before the match was... Uh, maybe changed by injuries and uh, refereeing decisions, but uh, that, it was kind of like it, that's kind of the features of the match that I saw. And, and the problem with um, Giroud in the match as well, Giroud didn't have anywhere near as much of an effect on the game as he has done in recent weeks. And that was because actually, surprisingly, Louise played him really well. And Louise is not physically strong. I mean, he's quite sort of skinny and lean, but he just got around him in the right way. And I guess it was a bit of, you know, two defenders kind of sandwiching Giroud, realising that, you know, when you've seen Chelsea play in this system, they look to Giroud all the time. If they can't find the easy, easy ball, it's straight up to Giroud. And he's great at winning those knockdowns and stuff, but didn't work against Arsenal. So the attack was weaker from that point of view. You know, I think Arsenal maybe just edged you know, the way they could break out of the press and on Chelsea. And um, yeah, you were right. The midfields were bypassed and Jorginho and Kovacic really didn't have that impact on the game, but neither did Arsenal. So um, we're really talking about defence and attack here. So Naz, one of the things that I thought was interesting, and I saw you tweet this during the match, was the fact that a- after P went off, we didn't maybe consider the idea of potentially trying to go to a, a back four and regain a little bit more defensive composure and try to punch back in a way that wasn't going to put Alonso versus Pepe or Bellerin one-on-one, which, uh, as we've learned, uh, Alonso does tend to get shredded in those moments. And so that was probably the one thing that I was waiting for Lampard to try to do. And maybe where do you think, or why don't you think that happened in this match? Like, was it just down to personnel and the, the right personnel not being available to try to far back for, or do you think Lampard felt that we could get back into the pressing and playing the game he wanted to play? I, I think Lampard thinks the back four is too vulnerable um, in general. I think that the, the back three, you know, we've seen some terrible games where they've shipped goals, but um, generally, it has been more solid, and the Wolves' performance was probably the most solid performance I've seen in a long time. And and it's especially solid in the absence of a Golo Kante. I think that the back four, when Kante's in there, especially in that holding role, that was that was a great time of balance before he got injured. Chelsea looked so so balanced uh, with two number eights going on. I think Barkley probably played more because Kante played. So, um, and then he's got a switch to Jorginho and Kovacic. You do have a great connection in possession. They really do. Um, there's something about those two. Um, they just know each other. They read each other's minds. But they they didn't get on the ball at all against uh, Arsenal compared to what we used to. So they didn't really have that same effect. So. I kind of see the decision Lampard made. Um, you know, I think the back four also has weaknesses. I think that there's no perfect shape. I think when we talk about Chelsea, we're talking about one system with weakness to another. Um, and that's kind of the issue there, really. And I think also Willian might have made um, a 4-3-3 more, more palatable because I think that with Pulisic and Willian with the pace and proper wingers, I think that they become proper wingers. But when they play in this system, you see that Mount and, and Pulisic are a bit more central, a bit more tucked in, and it's the wing-backs that really provide the width. But I thought Tamori could have come on in the game. I thought, you know, the pace that was punishing them behind, I thought that Christensen was a wrong call. That was my one thing that I thought, if you go in the back three, get the pace guy on, 
um, and and they didn't do that. And and I thought that was potentially a missed opportunity. Yeah, I mean, I think you you probably nailed it right there, which is I, I was shocked that Christensen was the call, just given that he hasn't featured and and is you know I think. All of our center backs have been given a chance this year, but you know it's been the most fair distribution of matches that you could ever hope for if you're one of the four center backs. But you know he clearly wasn't in favor heading into this match, and so part of me was wondering if you bring your fullbacks to actually play fullback instead of essentially you know midfielders, forwards, or whatever, does that cut down on the amount of channels available? passing wise and you know i'm not saying Jorginho is going to be your best anchor for this type of match because you know frankly just don't think that but it would have done it would have given them something else to react to which i think was kind of my original point which is lampard understands the tempo the pacing the passing angles obviously the channels are wide open there wasn't really a change made he didn't really do anything to affect it besides bring on different personnel who were kind of you know, coming into the, the match cold. So I, I think if I had a criticism, I think that's on Lampard to, to figure out. And he's thing is the frustrating thing is he's done that already. He did it in the first half against Arsenal away at the Emirates. Like he saw the thing, he made the change. We all lauded him for it because it was the right thing to do. You know, I, I think that's where I was maybe missing a little bit yesterday, Dan. The subs were definitely interesting. Obviously, some were, were forced to injury. And, you know, I think the other thing, you know, Christensen has played more recently, though, than Fakayo Tomori. You know, Fakayo Tomori has not played any football since the restart and played seldomly before then. You know, we kind of had seen that start of the season. He had a, a bit of a rise with Rudiger being out and really kind of it just seemed to have fallen out of favor, which is one of those interesting stories you know we kind of talk about has had some of the the muscular kind of concerns and you know we'll get into injuries in in just a moment here but yeah and and then just having an Angolo Conte on the bench as a feint you know maybe someone like a having a Lewis Bate on there even though he's untested young unproven at the adult level just giving yourself a different option to try and and change the game and change the dynamic because all of these changes were, were very like for like you know, Tammy coming on obviously offers a little bit more pace. You know, I think Naz called out rightly. Dava Louise had no issue with Olivier Giroud in this match. Um, you know, even to the point of, of taking down Giroud in, in a quite an, an interesting type of injury or takedown. Um, you know, Louise wasn't pressured. And where you get at Louise is if you can give him someone who is faster than him, who is going to be a little bit shiftier, which is what Tammy Abraham offers. If you, he had to deal with that with 60, 70 minutes, Dava Luiz is probably the one giving up the penalty and not Cesar Aspilicueta. Well, I mean, you have to make him make a decision. You know, if his decision is just stand behind you and do this, you know, put his hands up. Like, it's not really a decision that he has to make. The decision is, do you have the ball and run at him and make him, you know, do something rash? Or do you pass it around him and then, you know, get the whole line to turn a different direction? And... There, there just wasn't much of that yesterday. I mean, the, the fair fair play to them. I think they, they set out and did exactly what they wanted to do. I think they played better on the whole and were, were probably deserved winners. I, you know, wish Chelsea would have done something to change it. But in addition to that, there was a whole bunch of stuff that went against us. So it was, it was kind of a weird match because... I, I I don't like the XG very much, Naz, but I think the XG was dead on on this one. I think both teams had one clear chance per, and then that was about it. Yeah, yeah, I think it's spot on. Um, but yeah, I think that you're right about Louise as well, and and, and Tamori as well. The reason he probably didn't play was probably just a lack of sharpness. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think that perhaps if, if and this was kind of where things went wrong really for Chelsea was you know the substitutions probably weren't the best from Lampard, but. I think that the problems were, you know, when stuff happened in the game, you know, the, the Arsenal went 2-1 up and then, you know, you've got immediately, pretty much, five minutes later, Matteo Kovacic gets a red card and and that just ties you with one arm behind your back and, and, and all these kind of things, you know, Pulisic's injury, when it came, that's another moment that ties your arm behind your back. Gasly quite going off. Um, that's another thing, you know, no half-time changes to really shake things up and I think that, I think that that was, you know, Lampard, I think he spoke about it a little bit in his press conference, just a bit like, you know, I, I kind of, it kind of felt that when stuff happened, it sort of stopped us from really 
you know, making certain substitutions that he kind of wanted to make. So um, that was an issue. The one interesting actual call that he made was bloody bringing on Pedro, who's going to leave for Roma. And the saddest story of the game almost, the fact that he's dislocated his shoulder uh, in the final minute of playing for Chelsea. And now, you know, he's going to another club and he, he won't be ready for that club now straight away. So it's quite a sad story, really. But he, he came on. And Callum Hudson-Odoi didn't, a guy who's going to stick with the club, he's you know, on a five-year deal. Uh, I just found that kind of interesting. Callum did, in the end, you know, come on and, and, and get his shot, but it was, it was a bit late, really. And Pedro was quite involved in the game when he came on, so maybe if Cal was on, he could have been involved. And, you know, if you're going to lose a cup final, maybe, you know, for me, it would have been wise to go with a guy uh, just to give him experience, a young guy who's going to be around for a bit longer. So I found that a bit of a... Strange call, um, but maybe Chelsea would have lost the, the the game, whatever they did, because the way the referee went, the way the injuries went, they just kept happening at the wrong times with Chelsea. I yeah, I couldn't agree more. Go ahead, Dan. Sorry. Well, I was saying let's get let's get into that. So uh, quick break here. We're going to we're going to talk about injury FC. All right. Well, we've been alluding to it, so let's actually kind of dive into the specifics here. Naz, you had the exact quote from Lampard. Two hamstrings, a dislocated shoulder. William was injured yesterday. Conte not fit, and Ruben Loftus-Cheek out. Uh, Definitely bad to worse, because it started bad, and then throughout the match, it went even worse. Asby in the 34th minute, just going down crying you know as he was coming off the pitch uh, just how much it meant to him how much playing for Chelsea and going out of this cup final meant and I think Liam's tweet summed it up perfectly I'm not sure what to make of a world where Aspilicueta's body is failable (laughs) yeah I mean mean, he's an Iron Man like he he genuinely has done everything there is for this club and I think you know Naz when we looked at the you know, obviously gave up the penalty kind of right before the injury, right? And you looked at how the game was kind of being stretched at that point with some of those balls over the top or balls in the channel. There was a lot of running being done in, in kind of Chelsea's defensive half to kind of get back because possession, again, was, was on the Arsenal side of the pitch for most of the game. You know, you with this condensed amount of matches, you know, since, you know, June 21st or whatever, it was inevitable, right? I mean, it was absolutely inevitable that something like this was going to happen, even on a full week's prep. Yeah, it is. And I think the only team that's kind of handled this differently is in Man City, where they've kind of played a different team in every game, but they've got the squad to do that. But Chelsea have got to, like, you know, find some rhythm, play for so much, so much pressure has been on them. Um, so they've just had to play the best team. And guys like Aspilicueta and Pulisic are the guys who've been playing every week, really. Um, and, you know, your body is going to fail. And they both failed in explosive moments, those muscle injuries. So Pulisic on the break and Aspilicueta with a recovery run. And, um, yeah, I mean, they, they are human, in, in fact. Even Aspilicueta, I was shocked to not seen that happen before. But if Aspilicueta's body's failing, it shows you what the rest of the league um, <laughs> is going through as well, man. I mean, Arsenal have got a lot of injuries. Um, Man United lost Shaw, uh, and and you know there's there's quite a few guys in the other clubs going out as well. So um, I think that Lampard's a bit concerned about um, the workload on players, and I think the top clubs are really going to have to maybe even think about the makeup of their squads and guys you might expect Chelsea to sell next summer or this summer. Um, they might stick around just to provide a bit of padding because you might need some padding for the next year. Uh, it's going to be tough. There's going to be three games every week. There's going to be no let-up at all. Well, we, we, I looked into this, Nick, because we were going to talk about Aspi, and we're obviously wishing him well, hope that the, the it's not maybe a full tear and you know that the recovery will be quick. But when you look at Aspi over the last <laughs> eight seasons for Chelsea, um, this season, 49 matches, 4,300 minutes. Last season, 57 matches, 48, almost 4,900 minutes. 52 matches the season prior, uh, 4,700 minutes. 47 matches the season prior, 4,100 minutes. And in all these seasons, so this year, 600 minutes ahead of the next closest person, which was Kepa, uh, 700 versus Mount. 400 minutes last season versus Jorginho, uh, only losing out to Kepa, who was in goal for every single match. 2017, 500 minutes over N'Golo Conte. Over in Golo Conte had more minutes in 2017. 2016, plus 300 minutes versus Cahill. 2015, plus 300 minutes over Fabregas as the next closest. He was number one from 2015 to this year in terms of minutes played. Yeah, I think the 
the point here is, you know, one, just incredible professionalism from Mespoquita to keep his body fit, to stay on for as long as he has. I mean, I know there there's been a section of, of Chelsea fans who have wanted him out of the club for two seasons because he's not fast anymore. And one could argue that he's never been fast. He's just been a good defender. Um, I think the other part, though, Naz, is to see him he he doesn't go down. He's a happy warrior. You know, he 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 may not be everyone's favorite leader in terms of, you know, being a vocal kind of demonstrator on the pitch, but see him go down in anguish, to see him crying coming off the uh, off the pitch. I think it signifies what this club what what the match meant to him. I I think if there was any way he could have stayed on, you would have seen a bandage the size of Texas on his on his leg to keep him in the match. It was heartbreaking for me, man. Yeah, you you want guys like that in the dressing room. And I think that, you know, and increasingly these days, we're moving towards uh, squads of players that just really want to be there if you want to succeed. Um, and, and, you know, I think that Chelsea are really doing this and, and every guy needs to be absolutely 100% committed to Chelsea. And, and I think that Lampard sends that message in every single press conference. You know, the players he celebrates, the ones that love the club. And and sometimes the way Twitter analyzes it is is not always the way it actually is behind the scenes. And you know, Aspie just shown the standard really of how much you should love your club, how much you should want to play for the shirt, how much these occasions mean to you. He feels it in every moment. He looks like Mr. Cool, but you know, that was probably the one side we one time we saw is like a, a sign of weakness from him. And and that just shows you really what what he is and, and what he represents. And I think that, you know, when the young boys look up to a guy, they can look up to him and maybe a few others as well. Giroud and William also sort of do that as well. So um, there's some great pros around Chelsea. And, you know, these guys are the ones who've won before. And I kind of wrote after the game that these guys are going to have to teach this new generation the next step. Chelsea have probably more talent, young talent than any of the squad, maybe world football, but... They need to learn to win now. That's the next step. And Aspie is a guy who can teach them that. And the, the other major injury that we saw, so I mean, three major injuries, but then the next one in the order of appearance was Pulisic right after the start of the second half, 49th minute. And as I think he rightfully called out, 11 goals in all competitions this season. Joint second top goal scorer for Chelsea this year and did in fewer games than William. Uh, 10 assists as well. Uh, I, I like that you call out the fact that 58 million looks like a bit of a bargain now. I don't know if Dortmund are going to come back looking for an extra bonus or saying, hey, we actually marked the price wrong on this initially. Mm. <laughs> um, but... You know, I, I just, I know I was super gutted because of how well his restart form has been, how hard he worked to get back into this lineup. And just, you know, look, the, the four, the four nil victory over Byron was going to be on the back of Christian Bolisic. And that looks a little less likely now <laughs> with him, uh, going to be ineligible for that. So I, I think maybe just a, a hat tip, you know, here to Christian for helping us get us over the line and, and actually, you know, put us into contention for this match because without his goal, you know, this is a, a two nil and, uh, we, we are a little bit more of a laughing stock relative to our, uh, friends across London. Uh, yeah. I mean, this, this to me was devastating. I mean, it's, it's been clear that he's been our best player since the restart. You know, I mean, <laughs> Giroud is certainly up there, you know, and I think you could make a, a third case for Zuma, you know, if, if that was your persuasion, but it, it's, uh, it's, you know, I think his, the way that he attacks is just above and beyond anything that we kind of currently have on the roster. Obviously Werner, Ziesch, you know, potential other additions could make up ground on him heading into next year, Naz, but to see him, pull his hamstring, take 15 more steps, shoot the ball, almost score, but I don't think he could wrap his foot around it enough uh, to get it past Martinez. And then, you know, immediately he hits the ground, starts pounding the ground because I think he's so damn upset that he, you know, isn't going to be able to go forward. It, it, uh, yeah, it wasn't a, a pleasant sight for, for American Chelsea fans. No, no. And I think that that will go down quite well with the sort of, you know, traditional English Chelsea fan, the fact that he sort of powered through and got his shot away. And I think even Lampard referenced it in his press conference. He's like, you know, if that goes in, then 
might be game over. So uh, Pulisic did, you know, really well there. And I think, yeah, I think that actually the, the fact is physically uh, his hamstring went, I, I, I've had so, sort of muscle injuries myself and you just can't really, you know, move your leg in the same way. So the fact he even got anywhere near the goal is a, a great achievement. But yeah, I'm just, I think the only thing I can add really on Pulisic is that I'm a bit, a bit sad that I can't see him play against Bayern Munich because, you know, watching the game in, in March or whenever it was, the original match, uh, the first match uh, where Chelsea lost, I thought he was a massive miss in that game. And that's the kind of game you need uh, pace. And Chelsea don't really have a lot of pace in their attack apart from him. Um, so, you know, it's going to be a really tough ask. I guess Tammy might play to make up some of that because, you know, Bayern are going to dominate the ball. They're one of the best technical teams in Europe. It's like playing Man City. So uh, Pulisic was great against Man City and that kind of showed you the kind of blueprint Chelsea need against the bigger teams. And Timo Werner will provide that next season because he's unbelievably quick. They call him Turbo Timo in Germany. Um, so, yeah, I think that, um, that was my that was my other thought. There's you know it's not an important game, but it's a game where Chelsea are playing for pride. And it you know in a, in a way, um, if Chelsea were full strength, it would have been nice to sort of show Bayern a little bit what Chelsea are about and what they could be about in the future. The other one, the other injury that happened in the dying moments of this game was Pedro and the the shoulder injury Naz, which just what what a terrible way, a terrible last moment for him at the club considering how much he'd done in I think over 200 matches uh, it just you know had been a real servant and you know nothing but a, a serial winner and a serial professional and to go out that way was just uh, just unfortunate yeah definitely didn't deserve it it's bad luck um just shows you the risks of football people say these guys are soft but there's a guy going off on a stretcher and uh, you know needing oxygen and stuff like that and it, it just shows you that people do go out there do play with risk and you know, the more they play, the more risk there is. And Pedro has been a great pro for Chelsea. Let's let's not put any two ways about it. He's a popular member of the dressing room. He's incredibly successful. Um, you know, he's won more trophies than anyone else in that Chelsea dress. Uh, you know, over the course of his career, uh, this is a legendary player we're talking about. And and uh, you know, he I saw that. Um, you know, he he should be really respected for that. Maybe Chelsea didn't get his best years. Maybe some of them were in Barca, but. Um, I think he's been a great ad for Chelsea, and you know, um, it's a sh- it's a shame we're saying bye to him, but we're saying we're welcoming in a whole raft of new exciting players as well. So, uh, Pedro's done a great job; he moves on, and I think that Chelsea fans should love him and support him when he's at Roma as well. When he gets on that pitch, it's a great signing for Roma as well. Let's be honest; uh, he's going to rip it up in Serie A. I'm sure he's going to score plenty of goals. Yeah, I think the the note I would make on this, Dan, is that he and Lampard had to have talked about what his role was going to be post restart. Right. And, and obviously wanting to protect him so that there wasn't any, you know, kind of nuance around his transfer uh, to Roma and and for him to come on and give everything in his last moments tells you everything you need to know about him. He had no, he had no business going for the ball that he got injured on, you know, like it was going to be Martinez's ball, but he was mixing it up. Maybe could have had a penalty in the final in the final minutes there. I mean, like it it was so impressive from a point of professionalism that you know, and you know, from from Callum's perspective too, man. Like that's what you have to do to get on the like earn Frank Lambard's trust, get on the pitch early. Like it, it's it's heartbreaking, man. And and I I just I think we all wish him well, and and hopefully. You know, when he comes back to the bridge someday, because I have a feeling that he's going to be one of that contingent that that is able to make a, a return trip very easily. Um, I hope the fans uh, regard him in, in this kind of reverent way because he was he was wonderful. Right, well, we, we've avoided talking about it for this long, so it's probably about time to get into a little bit of conversation around the officiating. I'm going to tee it off by taking two comments from players. Because, again, as, as supporters, especially ones that are supporters of the team, we potentially can wear some blue-tinted glasses from time to time. Uh, former Chelsea player, you may know him, John Terry on Instagram, calling it never a second yellow. Surely that was a foul on Christensen build up to the goal. Question mark, and then tomato, angry face emoji. And then Declan Rice, Potential future Chelsea player again, former Chelsea Academy player, current West Ham player of the season. Some of the decisions of this game today, dot, dot, dot. So, Nick, which which questionable decision, statement around officiating, where, where do you want to lead in? 
and then we'll we'll go to Naz to give us a little bit more of a, an objective view around uh, his opinion on it. Let's get the passion first. So, so I, I want to say first and foremost, I don't believe you know much like Frank Lampard. I don't believe Chelsea were good enough to win the game outright yesterday. Right? I think Chelsea's best case scenario, if officiating would have been relatively even on both sides, is probably to win it in penalties. And, you know, I think that's just kind of how it, it might have gone. That being said, Anthony Taylor absolutely had an incredibly horrible performance. I mean, the, the guy was not on the pace. Even simple things like being in position to make calls, running along, you know, kind of some of the main channels where, where action was happening, awful. He blew some incredibly big decisions, Naz. I mean, there's no doubt about it yesterday. There are a handful that we're going to point out. I think the one that most people were pointing out that he was actually in position for uh, was the Bellerin foul on Christensen that led to Aubameyang's uh, second goal, uh, being kind of an obvious obvious call. If that, if that happens anywhere else on the pitch, not leading up to the goal, it's a foul and it's a free kick for Chelsea. So I, I don't know how your your neutral take on this was as a, as a journalist, but it, it really felt like he was doing everything he could to gift Arsenal the game yesterday from my perspective. Yeah, I think I think that definitely Arsenal were favoured with the decisions, not not obviously not on purpose. I think, you know, I, I trust him and I trust English officiating. The best thing about the Premier League is that they are honest officials. They're just, sometimes they're just bad and sometimes they're bad against your team, not in their favour. So, um, yeah, that's that's the way I see it. But the, the Bellerin one, yeah, probably a foul, but I can see how you might miss that. I can see how you might think it's a 50-50, but really Christensen won the ball and, and Bellerin continued into him and actually did a bit of damage and Christensen did well to get up after that. Um, but, you know, you can miss those. But the Kovacic one was just so poor. Um, that was the real one. And I think that was a game-changing moment because... Chelsea were on the ascendancy again. They'd finally got themselves going. And, you know, Kovacic is a bit of a full-blooded character and we've seen it in recent weeks. I love that about him. But he's been on the end of some bad decisions because the Liverpool one as well, the free kick that he gave away there was bad. And, uh, yeah, again, um, you know, just... It was basically... And, and we've got to, you know, we blame Anthony Taylor, but we've got to blame Xhaka as well, Granite Xhaka. His reaction was pure gamesmanship. It is completely a, a, a move to get your fellow professional sent off. There was absolutely no way that was a foul. And, you know, Mount got a yellow card as well in similar circumstances, which was, again, just, I think those Bellerin again, and I think that was just pure professionalism. But that is what it takes to win at this level. Sometimes, you know, in, in finals, you just find whatever you can to win. And maybe Chelsea are a bit guilty of being naive. And, and you know, I, I remember the sort of Lampard generation of Chelsea player, Jose Mourinho, really brought in the gamesmanship Chelsea were the best, second to none. Shirt pulling, diving. I mean, I'm not being hard. Obviously, they were the best team in England as well, but that, that's part of winning um, everything. You win at all costs. This is the highest, highest level of the game. It is very difficult. Um, and there was nothing between the teams, really, uh, except a bit of refereeing decision, luck. Uh, part of it was luck. Uh, and, you know, maybe Aubameyang's finishing. Those are the things that were against Chelsea. Um, and maybe, you know, you use that sort of dark arts we call it uh, using the dark arts is fine um, I'm sure when you've got a player like that you love him and everyone else hates him that's fine I mean look at Bruno Fernandes he does it all the time for Man United um, so um, winners do have the dark arts and I think that Chelsea were a bit of a victim of Arsenal's dark arts which is probably a side that wasn't really talked about on Twitter Anthony Taylor was the scapegoat but you've got to look at Xhaka's reaction man he he was horrible Xhaka actually you could argue both both yellows on Kovacic were actually fouls by Xhaka on Kovacic, which is incredible. I mean, it's it's it is incredible, and it's a rule change that I think most people are calling out. You know, to move forward next year, that VAR on a second yellow on a sending off on a crucial game moment like that should be able to, at the very least, send the referee over to the monitor. I think the thing that's blown my mind this year about VAR is you have the pitch side monitor. Even in the MLS, the referees use the, the pitch side monitor. Anthony May, or Anthony Taylor refused to do anything about it yesterday, uh, which is a real bummer. But you know, I kind of look at the dark arts piece that you just said because Man City get away with the dark arts a lot because they play beautiful football. Where did Arteta learn his managerial trade? Man City under Pep Guardiola. 
I, I think there is going to be a lot more of that, Dan, coming from Arsenal in, in future years because it, it was obvious today that they were just out for, for that kind of a thing. Ta- tactical fouling is a part of the game. You know, we, we talk about Pep's teams, and Pep is a master at this. Mourinho has done a really great job. I mean, you look at what how he was able to sit Carrera on Hazard in, in many matches when he was at United and, and just knew how to play the more physical Disrupt side the of the flow. game. Yeah, I, I think I would have been less upset if our Chelsea team actually was full of this group of bastards who was super physical and we're going in on these challenges really tough and we're making it difficult. But when you saw some of the theatrics, we will call them you know, Tierney going down with, with a light touch from Zuma, which, which actually jump started the, the goal um, with the, the free kick, you know, all of these things are just, we need a, t- a side that is, is drilled to be a little bit more tougher mentally a little bit more willing physically you know and if and if you know that you're going to get called anyway well then up the physicality like i mean i, I mean i think that was a thing we kind of got punched in the mouth and we just never went back for to kind of try to go blow to blow we really were trying to kind of play it safe and you know, i think maybe a couple of things when you kind of see that you know either need to kind of get the direction be like all right let's let's play to what the match actually is or start taking the precautions, like maybe pulling Kovacic off when he was on that yellow and riding it and putting someone else in like Barkley, you know, even though, you know, I, you know, we were all wondering why Conte didn't come in. We found out later, you know, it was injury. But Naz, I think that was the thing where, you know, it's going against you. Don't allow bad officiating to make it worse for you if you can see the writing on the wall. And, and so I, I thought, I couldn't believe that Kovacic you know, remained in the game riding that yellow as long as he did from Lampard. Yeah, it could be a mistake. Easy to say with hindsight, but I think that, um, you know, I think that that's one where, um, you know, maybe Chelsea shots in the foot is one of the areas, you know, um, we can talk all we want about officiating, but, you know, the dark arts are part of the game. We all know it, unfortunately. And uh, we also know that um, that's part of the battle. This is like a mind games on the pitch, you know, one-on-one duel, Kovacic versus Xhaka. Kovacic is a better player than Xhaka, in my opinion, in almost every way. But, you know, Xhaka got the better of him just with, uh, you know, what he did. So, fair enough. Um, you know, that's a final. It doesn't matter. Arsenal fans won't be thinking about this. They won't be talking about this. They'll be just talking about, oh, we won the final. Well done, Xhaka, blah, blah, blah. So, um, that's how these games go. And um, I think that Chelsea just don't have anyone who's a, a specialist in this. I remember N'Golo Kante did it quite masterfully, actually, against Jack Grealish in the Villa win. Um, hmm. and, and Jack Grealish had a, absolutely not a sniff against uh, Chelsea in, in the first game after Project Restart. And it was... Kante turning bad, and I love that. And um, you rarely see performances like that from a midfielder. You rarely see a Chelsea player diving. I can't even remember a dive from a Chelsea player. Um, maybe Jorginho is the biggest cheer of the squad. Uh, he gets a lot of yellow cards, but he's not very good at it because he gets booked. Was, so was there a Mishi <laughs> one that was pretty bad? I, I'm, I feel like Mishi had one that was quite terrible, but I could be mistaken. Yeah, well, Mishi doesn't play, so I forgot how he, uh, what he does. <laughs> <laughs> three, three final points on this. First... Anthony Taylor refereeing this final on, I guess, a professional merit scholarship um, made no sense to me whatsoever. He refereed the 2017 final where the Alexis handball was not called, and it was a ridiculous decision as he was right. It's a famous picture. He's right in front of it, and Alexis is like this. I, I just don't understand why he was in the final in the first place. Second thing is VAR did nothing yesterday. Um, and you could argue there were plenty of opportunities for it to step in. Um, the Martinez handball opportunity outside of the box is a major moment that few people were talking about after the game. And we never even saw a replay of it. Like there wasn't even a conclusive replay unless you like rewound the match footage, but we didn't get to see the line or anything like that. Um, the third point to me though, is when you look at, the kind of the big moments in the match. Typically, an FA Cup has you know a handful, an FA Cup final has a handful of these big, big moments. Chelsea was just on the wrong end of all of them. I mean, like it's statistically improbable that you're going to be on the wrong side of every major decision that kind of happens at a match. And along with the dark arts, you know, we we kind of called this out at the beginning. I think Arsenal had one yellow card. Um, 
so again, you, you just look at how everything went, and it was just not going to be our day. I, I, you know, and it was only two one as a as a final. So I think Chelsea could feel massively aggrieved. They should because it was it was a horrible officiating performance. But you you might have expected the scoreline to be three four one. You know, with all the stuff that went against us, and so I I, I think. Two one is probably still right, but I just wish the you, know, you had some fair officiating in the match. Well, that's not meant to be when Anthony Taylor is in an FA Cup final, apparently, Nick. But again, he should never be he... again. By the way, he, he should never referee that final ever again. I don't care who the teams are; he's not up for it. He's not a big match referee. He doesn't have the character to do it. And I think some of the tough tackles that went in yesterday were a, a point of reference for how he lost control early in the game. So I'm just well, we, we know he's off the Chelsea Christmas card list. He has moved to the top of Arsenal's Anthony Taylor. Man of the match. never see you for, <laughs> for uh, the fact that we don't have to worry about him as a match official for uh, about eight weeks here is very nice. Uh, so we can kind of put that to, to bed there. Um, we're going to do a little bit of transfer conversation with Naz on a uh, separate kind of episode. We're going to bundle this. This is the match review. It's done. It wasn't Chelsea's day. And we just we breathe a sigh of relief because we know Frank Lampard's here. Reinforcements are coming. Champions League next season, regardless of what happens against Bayern Munich, maybe some magic happens. Most likely not. But we'll be back after this episode to talk more about some exciting things that are still happening. Naz, thanks for coming on. Brandon, happy birthday. Nick, it's, it's going to be okay, buddy. Fuck off. Hug. Hugs. <laughs> Until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.